Hey, my name is Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. And at our church, we talk a lot about wanting to be a part of restoring faith in Jesus and the church. So we want you to know, wherever you find yourself on your spiritual journey, whether you're deconstructing or reconstructing, whether you're disentangling, doubting, rebuilding, no matter where you are, we want you to know that you are not alone. And we want to be a support for you as you journey down this road of faith. So if you have questions or you need support, we would love to chat with you. You can reach out to us through our website at RestoreAustin.org. And we hope you enjoy this week's message. Hey, Restore. You know, I am so excited to be here with you today. It's been a long time since I've actually been in this venue, long before COVID, when we first visited you as you just were starting up. And, you know, this church has been kind of part of my history in our work in the Middle East. I've been in the Middle East for 26 years. My husband and I have lived there. But seven years ago, eight years ago, in 2015, right before your church started, we started this ministry outreach to refugees in the region, and that's when we came and we met Zach, and this church was just a baby. So I feel like you guys have kind of been part of this journey with me. Um, Many of you know that when God calls us, he equips us. Amen? Do you guys know that? But that does not mean that it's going to be easy or painless. Like, I can tell you, my life has been a little bit more like one of those rides at Six Flags that you see the warning before you get on. Like, keep your arms and legs inside the ride because this is going to be wild, you know? That's what we have experienced. But, you know, it's also thrilling and exciting and it's so cool that we get to see what God is doing in some of these places around the world. Just amazing. So I'm honored to be part of this Restore community. You know, we have been in this series, as Zach mentioned in the last few weeks, called Wholehearted Postures. And as we've heard, it's really like wholehearted living. It's showing up. It's the church showing up and working side by side for these amazing things that matter to God. And we've talked about things like faith, We've talked about tenderness, we've talked about inclusion and joy, and today we're going to talk about courage. And I'm really honored to talk about courage because that's a little bit what we walk in out on our side of the world. And today, I really, when I, when I met with Zach, I really felt like the Lord just gave me this message for the church. And it's not a message about me or what we're doing. It is a message that's an amazing story from the Old Testament. And I see a lot of parallels on what's going on today in our modern world and this story that we're going to talk about today. And it's about a guy who who had a lot of courage and he was a part of a major construction project. He wasn't perfect, but his compassion, like his courage and his dedication, they just stood out. And his name, how many of you know, before I say it, is Nehemiah. So his story is really fascinating. Just so you know, up front, there's no way we're going to cover all of Nehemiah today. Like literally, we're going to blow like right through the first seven chapters and kind of just take some highlights out. Um, The fact is, you know, today's focus is really going to be about us as in us, the church, and what we can learn from this guy named Nehemiah. Before I jump in, I wanna give you a little bit of context. You know, this was a time in history when the Israelites, like the people of God, had just really, they had lost their way. 
In fact, as we read the Old Testament, a lot of the Old Testament is how the children of Israel followed hard after God and then they fell away from God and then they sought God and then they ran away from God. But we pick up this story like several years after the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar had besieged Jerusalem. He took it, he completely attacked the people, he took them captive, and he completely destroyed their homeland. He burned the temple of God, he tore down the walls in Jerusalem, and he just completely destroyed anything of value. Now, can you think of anything in modern day history where we have seen that? I wanna talk about some of those places this morning because I just wanna draw the parallel for you. We see it in our generation. It plays out on social media for everyone to see. And it has happened in Syria. I have a slide of Syria. This is exactly what it looks like. You know, we've had a number of large projects running along the borders of Syria for some time now to help refugees rebuild their lives. In fact, many of the refugees that we work with come from the Aleppo area in northern Syria where the recent quake just decimated the city. And we see this kind of destruction also across Turkey, You know, we're focusing in a couple of cities in our response to this earthquake response, in Aleppo and Syria, and in Turkey, we're working in a place called Antakya. Now, that's the modern-day name of that city, Antakya, but honestly, it is the biblical city of Antioch. Like Antioch, it was the cradle of Christianity. It was the first place where followers of Jesus were called Christians. And in this area, in Takia, right now, the, the stats coming out are really 70% of the buildings have been leveled and flattened. The other 30% are uninhabitable. So people are living in parks. They're living out in open fields. And you know, a few weeks ago when this um, earthquake, ha- earthquake happened, I was traveling and I, I got a call in the early, early morning hours from our pastors and those partners that we work with on the ground in Turkey and Syria. And they just began to share videos and pictures of what was going on. And I think the first, the first video that I saw was really of them pulling about seven children from the rubble. I mean, just heartbreaking. But, but even as those pastors and leaders went into Antioch to bury their loved ones and their family who were killed in the quake, they began to serve. They began to step up. And you know, I think that takes courage. To, even when we're broken and even in our brokenness, we can serve God. The next slide I have for you, it's pretty tragic, it's Yemen. Now Yemen, I don't think we hear a thing about it on the news these days. Um, I, I sure don't uh, where I am. But it's probably the greatest humanitarian tragedy in our generation. And about 250,000 people have died in Yemen in recent years. But you know, sadly, most of those have been because they starved to death. Like, totally preventable. But you know, one of the things that this church has helped us do over the last few years is send food to Yemen. And we're right now on four million meals that we are celebrating that we have been able to get into Yemen. And we're working on one right now that's coming out of Montana. I mean, we have all these farmers who want to give their excess, like beans and lentils, you know, all kinds of stuff. So we're able to ship those on into Yemen. So I'm very thankful for that. And the destruction just continues. You know, we do hear a lot about Ukraine on the news. And we've been working in Ukraine. Now this war has hit almost this one-year mark. 
And for most of the last year, we have just been pouring, 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 pouring our efforts into helping people get out from the difficult areas and to get supplies in to the front lines where people really need food and water and just emergency medical supplies. And you know, it's not without, it's not without risk. Four of our Ukrainian drivers were killed this year getting people out and trying to take supplies in. So it can be very, very dangerous. The next slide I wanna show you is Iraq. Now in Iraq, I've stood in this very sanctuary in Mosul. And for those of you who don't know where Mosul is, in the Bible, this is the Nineveh Plain. So Nineveh area in the Bible. And before the war in Iraq, this was home to the largest church in the Middle East. Like, can you imagine, in the Nineveh Plain? And when ISIS came through, they literally rounded up all the Christians, about 400 of them in this area, and they hung them upside down on crosses in the church courtyard. I mean, this is not 538 BC like we're talking about today with Nehemiah. This is our generation and our time. So I wanna jump back to the Nehemiah story. You know, it was complete destruction. It looks a lot like this on the news when we turn it on right now, even with across Turkey and Syria. And the destruction in Jerusalem was just so vast that the survivors that had come out of that city had just become exiles. And many of them were scattered, they were displaced, they were hungry, and they had no place to call home. And they really had like no way to go home because in, in the walls of their city were literally torn down. And it's important for us to note in our day and age, in our generation, we don't protect our cities with walls. But in this day and age, it was so important because this period in history, a city without walls was unsafe, it was exposed, and they had no way to go back. Now, Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem, he attacked it, everything's turned to rubble, and it had been a crazy long time, a crazy long time between the time this happened and where we pick up in this story today. I mean, something like 140 years. So for those of you who want to fact check, Google it, go ahead, but it was some crazy long period of time. And then enter our man, Nehemiah. And you know, Zach talked a few weeks ago about how Jesus was moved to compassion and Nehemiah was a man, a prime example of someone who was moved to compassion. And we're gonna pick up in chapter one, verse four. And Nehemiah says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. You know, and then in verse five, he just goes on to extol the greatness of God because he knows that God is great even in the midst of his situation. And I wanna pick up in verse six where he says this because I don't know, I'm sure that some of you have been there just like me. There are times when we are just crying out to God for help and that's what Nehemiah is doing here. He is begging God, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer that your servant is praying before you day and night. He's like, listen, he is crying out, God, would you help? Can you help? And he is not praying for himself. Like he is praying for the people of God who need to come home. And you know, I've found myself over the last few weeks just like on my face 
just asking God, begging God to help with our brothers and sisters across Turkey and across Syria. And you know what? Like, here's the deal with Nehemiah. He was like, he hears this news and he just begins to weep. And it had been 140 years, he's just hearing the news, he just begins to weep because God is moving his heart. And the reality is, he probably doesn't know a single soul. He is 800 miles away and he probably doesn't know anyone there. But on hearing the news, God just stirs his heart. And I, I love the way that Nehemiah prays. Maybe you'll get to that in your, next, in your next session about prayer. But he just prays and prays and prays. And, you know, sometimes I think he's just praying because he is scared. Like, literally, he knows he has got to go to his boss, who is the king, and he ha- has to ask for some extended time off. And the king doesn't even believe in God. I mean, he doesn't even care what's happening in Jerusalem. So, so Nehemiah, he's shaking in his boots. And I just want to stop and I want to point out this, this verse because it's Nehemiah 1, 11, because I think it is so, so important how we view these men and women that we read about in the Bible because Nehemiah just simply lets us know his job title. He says, hey, I'm a cupbearer to the king. Because our tendency, my tendency, I think many of our our tendencies are to think that these men and women of the Bible, that they were just huge, that they were just amazing, extraordinary people, and that's why God chose to use them. (laughs) But if we really pay attention to what the Bible says, the people that God chooses to use, I mean, they're us. They're everyday, ordinary people who just say, yes, God, I'm going to show up. And he does extraordinary things through, through very ordinary people. Now, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. And what does that mean? He was really the, the wine taster. He tasted the wine before they gave it to the king to make sure it wasn't poison. And he's not really the all-star player in the room. I mean, he is not the Michael Jordan of the day. You know, he's not there to save the day. He's not even Pippin or Rodman. I mean, this guy is more like the water boy. And nobody knows his name. Who knows the name of a water boy? No one. That is Nehemiah. And God uses him because he's stirred, he's heartbroken, and he has the courage to do something about it. So the story goes a little bit like this. He walks into the king one day, and the king notices him. And he's like, hey, like, Nehemiah, why, why are you so sad? Like, what's wrong with you? Are you depressed? I mean, that's my version. But, you know, the king notices him, and, and, then, and then it tells us that he says, ah, I was very much afraid, because he's like, uh-oh, like, I am busted, like the king knows. And as he is standing there, like, quaking in his boots, like, scared spitless, because he knows he's caught, God just starts to give him favor, And God gives him favor that doesn't make sense. Like it is favor and favor and favor from the king. And it just is really extraordinary. And the king says to him, what is it you want? And you know what Nehemiah says? He says, send me to Judah so I can rebuild it. Now can you imagine if one of us stood up in this service today and we said to Zach, hey, send me to Turkey, send me to Antioch, send me to Syria so I can rebuild it. Like we would literally laugh them out of the room. Like they're not construction companies. They're not big groups. This was one little water boy. And he's like, send me to Judah 
so I can rebuild it. And you know, the king just keeps giving Nehemiah favor, giving him favor, and I think Nehemiah is more like, seriously, this is better than I thought? And the king says, what else do you need? And Nehemiah just kind of goes down the whole list. He's like, I need some lumber, I need some beams, I need a nail gun, I need some mortar, and he just gives him the whole list for Home Depot, right? And do you ever just completely get blown away by how God answers our prayers? I mean, this is phenomenal what happened with Nehemiah. And then the king just sends him to Jerusalem with a police escort from the royal palace. Like, incredible. So he gets to Jerusalem, and what does he do when he gets there? He just walks around, and he looks at the destruction And then as he's walking, he just begins to round up all those people who were just living out there in exile. And he says, listen, hey, we're in trouble here. Like, this is a mess. Everything is rubble. But he says, we can rebuild it. We can bring back hope because God is for us and God is with us and nothing is too big for God. And I can just see him getting them in the huddle like one, two, three, break, and they all get to work, right? So the book of Nehemiah is super interesting. Um, There are a whole lot of chapters just dedicated to naming all the people that worked on the wall and their construction roles, but I'm never going to read those because I can't pronounce half of those names. But I do think it's an amazing picture of of how it takes all of us, you know, with our unique skills, our gifts, our resources, it takes all of us just like showing up for these things that matter to God. And that's what's so amazing about Nehemiah. But finally, how long did it take them to rebuild the wall? Like seriously, something that had laid waste for 140 years, Nehemiah and his little band, they finished rebuilding the wall in just 52 days. Amazing, like that is amazing. Something that people thought was so hopeless for so long. And then the the scripture tells us that after that, like every surrounding nation just, it says that they were terrified. Every refugee just living out there in the shadows, just eking out an existence, that they looked around and they were terrified because they knew that the only way that this could happen was because God was involved. And I pray, I pray that when people look at my life, I pray that that when people look at this church, when they look at our lives this way, that they say, there is no way they're pulling that off on their own, that this must be God. You know, there are people who have seen our lives in shambles, they've seen our lives constructing and deconstructing and growing and transforming, and maybe they would say that there is no way There's absolutely no way they can do this on their own, that it must be God. Amen. And that's our story today, kind of in a nutshell. A few incredible things stand out in this story to me about Nehemiah. And the first thing is, Nehemiah had the courage to stare reality in the face. Like he didn't flip over to Netflix because it was just too difficult to look at. Like he had the courage to look at it and he refused to gloss over it and he knew that something had to be done because everything was not okay. And sometimes I think we just have to have the courage to look at what's in front of us, you know. There are are people around us in this community, in the places where I work, there are people who need our help. They are without hope. There are people drowning in addiction and families being torn apart and marriages that need help. 
and people who have lost their faith. And maybe that's some of us in this room today. Maybe that's some of us watching. There are people that need help, and we need to be the church that shows up. We need to be the church that shows up and has the courage to look reality in the face and to do something about it. You know, we need to really just, I think, rise up with this deep compassion like Nehemiah. He didn't really have the skill set, but God put it on his heart, and he knew that he had to do something about it. And we, may we be that church, you know. Nehemiah's team accomplished something in 52 days that the world said would never be done and most thought would never be done. But he did it because God was in it. Amen. And this, you know, this church community here at Restore, you guys really, you really do blow me away. Um, It's a place where I don't just see a couple of pastors in the back, like, doing everything. It's a place where we've really seen people step up to the wall to rebuild and to do their part. And you guys have helped us a lot with that in Ukraine in the last year. And I just want to share a little update about what's gone on in Ukraine you know, we primarily work in the Middle East, so Ukraine was a whole new, you know, a whole new uh, baby for us. But we got on the ground, and God just opened up this amazing network uh, all across Moldova and Romania and uh, Poland and in Ukraine. And we're working with nearly a thousand churches across that region region to bring help and hope. And we've done a lot of stuff with medical supplies and food and water. And I'll tell you a little little uh, kind of scope of our work. In the last six, seven years of our ministry, we shipped 22 40-foot containers out to our projects in like 14 countries. And we were celebrating that. We thought, yay, God, you know, we celebrated it. But this year alone, we have done 24 40-foot containers to Ukraine. So our, 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 our workload expanded. We landed three plane loads of emergency supplies Uh, We built a mobile surgical unit for the front line. It treats about 60 patients a day. We're in the middle of building our second one right now. And just just so much more that God has done. And, you know, we, we coined a phrase for our work in Ukraine because it's just an amazing picture of what God is doing. And we call it the corridor of hope. Because it starts at places like this, and it goes through Poland and Moldova and Romania and into the front lines of Ukraine. So, so, so amazing. You know, Nehemiah, he had favor from a king, but we have had favor from the king of kings. Like, just God is opening up stuff that there's no way it's possible unless God is involved. And one thing that, that we didn't even get to in Nehemiah's story, but he is really good at celebrating. And like when the wall is finished, he just throws this huge party and he celebrates what God is doing. And I think it's important for us to celebrate those things that God is doing in our community and globally because we need to celebrate what he is doing in our midst. And, but we always have to deflect credit, just like Nehemiah, because there's no way it's, we're doing it in our own power. It is only because God is involved. And the last thing that I want to talk to you today about from this text is it's probably the most important thing. We have to know our why. We have to know why we do what we do. And you, need, you see, Nehemiah, his big why was not so he could rebuild the city and make it look beautiful again. Nehemiah, his big why was so that the people of God 
could find their way home. The people of God who were scattered, who were displaced, that they could come home, and not just to a physical place, but so they could find their way back to God. So they could come out of exile, they could come out of hiding, they could come out of separation and poverty and shame. That is why Nehemiah did what he did, so that people could find their way back into relationship with God. And you know, that's why we have added programs like we're going out of our minds the last few years. It's why we show up, it's why we say yes to God, to the stirring of God in our hearts, to just follow after him. Not because we need to show a stat. We don't talk about this stuff because we wanna show a stat or tell people what we're doing in the neighborhood. We do it so that people can find their way home, so people can find their way back to God. And right now, as you've seen in this PowerPoint presentation, all these cities lay in rubble, and this is our time. Like, this is our generation, and I'm sure you could put many slides up here of what are, what's going on right here in Austin that are passions of your church to just go out and be Jesus in these situations. But this is our opportunity to say, yes, God, this is our generation. It's not gonna pass us by. We wanna say yes to God, to this wholehearted living, to bringing life and hope to families who really need us to show up right now. I mean, there are so many families that need us as the church to just step up and show up. So may we have the courage to act so that people can find their way home. You know, Restore, since I met you, since I met Zach in the very beginning, has really been about vulnerable people. And, and I've seen it and I have experienced it personally. When we came and said, we need, we need help. We don't know what God's doing, but we need help. And you guys have really stepped up to the plate. And you know, Restore is more than a name. It is the heartbeat of this church. It brings restoration so that people can find their way home that people can find their way back to God, and that's what the church is all about. So let's pray today. God, we just thank you that you work in our hearts. God, that you you break our hearts for what breaks yours. And God, I pray that, that you would just begin to stir us, that you would begin to stir us for this city. God, that you would begin to stir us in places around the world that we can't even imagine, God. That we would have the courage to take action. God, and that you would just allow us to step up to the wall and do our part. God, may we have wholehearted postures before you, postures of courage and action that just glorify you and that draw people to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.